Our topic this week for the Depressed People of the Bible Seminar, using principles out of the book by Dr. Neil Nedley, Depression the Way Out, and people out of the book, Depressed People of the Bible. And so we're going to start off, uh, well, this week we're going to cover the first king of Israel, uh, but first we're going to allow Dr. Nedley to give us a little synopsis of two more of the ten depression hits that, as he explained in the beginning, that if we have four or more hits, chances are we will experience clinical depression, but then after we bring it back down under that four hit level, chances are that we will not be having, uh, experiencing clinical depression. So he's going to teach us some more ways how to bring two of those hits down uh, so they no longer become depression hits for us. Welcome to Let's Talk Mental Health, where we bring awareness to the causes and solutions of mental health conditions. We are in our second part of a five-part series on the 10 hit categories. I'm here with Dr. Neil Nedley again. What are we looking at today? We are looking at lifestyle causes of depression and circadian rhythm causes of depression and anxiety. Okay, so let's start with lifestyle. Lifestyle, if you're not on a regular aerobic exercise plan, you actually have a lifestyle hit for depression. So this has to do with exercise specifically? Exercise, but also light and fresh air. Okay. Uh, and, and so if you're indoors all day and you're not exposed to enough bright light, that's also going to be a, a lifestyle hit. Or if you're just breathing a lot of unclean air, you know, you live in smog and you're not able to get fresh air, that can be enough to cause the brain to go down and have that lifestyle hit. So those are the three primary areas we look at under uh, lifestyle causes of depression. Basically being outdoors, mm -hmm. and that has two parts, the sunlight and the fresh air, and then the third is the exercise. Yeah, I mean, you can get that all outdoors as well. Right, so. And so, uh, yeah, that is, uh, it's, it's important for us to be in green spaces, outdoors, breathing fresh air, and physically uh, exercising. Physical fitness is actually better for our brains than it is our body. And it is, of course, great for our body. You know, it tones our muscles, right. makes us feel better, it can get rid of liver toxins, it can help control blood pressure, there's lots of benefits of regular physical exercise, but those benefits pale in comparison to the benefits that it's having on brain chemistry and our receptors. And so uh, this is an important area that's overlooked by a lot of people. Now, I'm sure you run into people that say work a nine to five job in the winter time, that pretty much eliminates any chance of sunlight you're gonna get. Uh, how do you, or, or even living in climates that there is no sunlight during winter time? Uh, I know there's things like blue lights. Is that sufficient for overcoming this hit? Uh, it can be, yeah. If you just have a lifestyle hit due to not getting enough light and you are indoors, uh, particularly in the winter time and you can't really have enough bright light outdoors, uh, that light box for 30 minutes to an hour a day can be enough to prevent that hit from coming about. Right, and you would still need to get your exercise and fresh air. Is exactly, yeah, you'd still want to get that, yeah. yeah. And that might be just, you know, leaving your windows open at night if you live in a fresh air environment. Right. If you don't, are there recommendations for people, say, in, you know, they live up in northern Canada and they're, you know, it's zero degrees outside and 
I mean, is it, do they just need to get outside and spend a few minutes breathing fresh air? Is that the recommendation? Well, in general, there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad clothing. Okay. <laughs> and so we have them dress up. They get their hat on that, you know, where it's just their eyes able to be seen. Uh, of course, it can be extreme. You know, if it's 40 below, it's probably beyond that point, and you probably need to exercise indoors. Right. Or do something uh, gym-wise or have an indoor uh, place to exercise where it is as fresh as possible, where they have filtered the air if it's in a city, or at least have direct access to that outside air through their system. Right, so getting outside within reason, obviously. Exactly. Uh, let's get into the second, which is circadian rhythm. Yes. Circadian rhythm is our sleep-wake cycle, and it also is um, our structure. Uh, the human brain does much better when we have a regular schedule and when we have that schedule full and after one thing is done we need to try to accomplish another. Uh, the brain thrives in that type of environment but we can't be really thriving well unless our body clocks are set first. So when someone has a circadian rhythm hit we actually tell them that they need to have their body clock reset. And that's when the light box becomes mandatory. It's actually best before 7 in the morning. Studies have shown if you get your light after 7 a.m., you're getting some benefit, but you're not resetting your body clock. The body clock has to be reset ideally at around 6, maybe before or after, but not past 7. So if we, for instance, get that bright light every day at 6, after seven days, the clock is reset in our brain, and we're actually going to have a lot more energy in the daytime, and we're going to sleep far more efficiently at night. And so most depressed and anxious people, they are nighttime people. Um, the longer they stay up, the better they feel, and they feel like zombies in the morning. We can change anyone who's a nighttime person into a morning person just by this light box. So there's a lot of power in when you're getting light is what you're saying. Exactly, yeah. And so we use a medical grade light box. It's not just any light bulbs that will work uh, for this. And it has to be a certain length and it has to be a certain angle. We don't actually have them look at the light directly. It's, a, it's offset because the light sensors in our um, eyes that actually turn on our body clock are the rods and they're not our direct vision, they're our peripheral vision. So we have it come in peripherally. And what a difference it makes. It actually has been shown to be superior to antidepressants. And uh, it should be kind of the number one therapy for sleep problems. If you're having sleep problems, don't go for the pills, go for the light box. That's it. And that'll help the sleep uh, significantly. What about inhibitors? Are there some common inhibitors that you run across that people are introducing into their lifestyle that's drastically affecting their circadian rhythm? Well, yeah, caffeine, you know, is one of those. Uh, caffeine will rev you up, and it has a half-life of six hours, and so, you know, even your afternoon coffee uh, can have a significant impact on your circadian rhythm. Uh, and, of course, if you are on shift work where you're all constantly changing shifts, uh, that's going to be an issue. Or if you have no regularity in your schedule, even regular meal times actually are very really? healthy for the brain. Hmm. So in our meal times are at all different times, or we're eating before going to bed, eating before going to bed throws off your circadian rhythm. What uh, about phones or 
technology, you know, having a screen in front of you, is that going yes. to be an inhibitor? Yeah, absolutely. Those, uh, that light uh, from the phones, particularly in the evening, be three hours before going to bed, can throw that off. And so, yeah, three there's a hours. number of factors. Yes, you especially don't want any computer screen or phone um, that is a smartphone, you know, that has the screen within an hour before going to bed. But studies show it even has an impact up to three hours before wow. going to bed. So ideally, we're through with those things three hours before going to bed. Now, we can still read printed books. That's right. not a problem. But it's the screens that are the issue. And that's just because of the light coming off? Hitting it's because the of the light coming off. Yep, absolutely. Now, if you use like a, a blue light filter, would that be something that would help? For it does help. Okay. Yeah, it has been shown to help, but it's not as good as not using the screen at all. Shutting it off. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So some interesting things here we learned on lifestyle, how fresh air exercise can really impact our well-being, and also the circadian rhythm, light, and how that plays into our well-being. So thank you for your time. Join us next time as we cover nutrition and toxins. This is Let's Talk Mental Health. I'm your host, Nathan Nedley, and as always, stay healthy live happy. Okay, so pretty simple things. Uh, get out, get exercise, you'll get sunlight, you'll get fresh air, you'll be tired, <laughs> and you'll get some good rest and wake up early. So good uh, principles for keeping two hits uh, down, keep them off the list. Right? It's pretty simple. Alright, so this week we're going to look at King Saul, the King of Fear. Starting in 1 Samuel chapter 8, now we're going to cover over 20 chapters <laughs> really quickly. We're going to go through just the highlights uh, that specifically point out Saul's trouble with depression. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than anyone. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said, Here is the man of whom I spoke to you that shall reign over my people. Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head, saying, The Lord has anointed you commander. God gave him another heart, and all those signs came to pass that day. He began to prophesy, and various different signs that God said was going to happen took place. He had a new heart, changed heart, became born anew. God was moving in his life very powerfully. Now, I should point out when it says there was not a more handsome person, you got to read that in context, that was before I was born. You see? Uh, <laughs> there are some critics of the Bible who point that out, and they say, you see, Rabbi Jeff, and here the Bible says, and the Bible's inaccurate, you see? But you got to see that he's only talking about when Saul was alive, that that, that applied. And it says that from his shoulders upward, he was taller than anyone else. Now, it doesn't say, but we do know, that he had dandruff. Because the company, Head and Shoulders, was named after him. Right? So. <laughs> so he's a big man, tall man, handsome man, and that's what the people wanted. They wanted a king to represent them who looked good, who looked strong. Didn't matter what was in his heart or mind, they just wanted someone who looked the part. Be like all the other nations. God was not happy. Prophet Samuel was not happy. But God gave in to their request and gave them what they wanted. We've got to be careful what we pray for. Sometimes God will give us 
what we want, what we pray for, and it might not be the best thing for us. And so we have to surrender everything. Lord, not my will, your will be done, if it's according to your will, right? And so uh, surrendering our prayers to the Lord. Samuel chapter 10, so we jump two chapters, chapter 10, verse 17. Samuel called the people together, thus says the Lord God of Israel, Saul the son of Kish was chosen as king, but he could not be found. Verse 22, the Lord answered, there he is hiding among the equipment. So they couldn't even find him. The Lord had to point him out. There he is. There he is. Look, a big man. He's so big. He's taller than everyone else. Head and shoulders taller than everyone else. And he's hiding under the equipment. With the equipment. Crunched down there, whatever. They came and see him. God had to point him out. Drag him out of there. Now, this is not humility. This is a false humility. This is really fear that he's experiencing here. True humility says, well, I, don't, I can't do it, but God can do it through me. Right? If you're calling me to this task, if you're asking me to do this, I'm feeling impressed to do this. I feel this is God's will, God's calling. Uh, and so by God's grace, I'll do it. And then God gets all the honor and the glory and the praise, not man. But when we say, oh, I couldn't do that. Oh, I can't do that. Or choose someone else. I'm sure there's someone else better than me. Oh, I'm sure there's lots of other people who could do it. That's not humility. That again is a false humility. That's an insecurity. By God's grace, we can do all things through the Lord who strengthens us that he calls us to do. God enables those whom he calls. And so here we say, see him already manifesting some of that fear. Even after he was called, even after he was anointed, even after he began to manifest gifts of the Lord, Chapter 11, verse 1, the Ammonites encamped against Jabesh-Gilead, and the Spirit of God came upon Saul. And on the next day, Saul killed the Ammonites until those who survived were scattered. The people said to Samuel, Who said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring them that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has accomplished salvation in Israel. And so here he is, rises up to the situation, fights the war, wins the war, and then in humility gives the honor and glory to God. Here's the high point of Saul's life. This is the best we're going to get. And this is the thing the people said to Samuel, because when he was anointed, there were some who said, ah, I don't know if we want him to be king. And so the people said to Samuel, oh, let's get those who didn't want him to be king. Look at what a great job he's doing. Let's kill him. And before Samuel could even say anything, Saul spoke up. And said, no, 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 no. God has worked salvation today. We're not going to worry about any of those who doubted me being king. That was great. Now that was true humility manifested in his words and his actions and his deeds. Chapter 13, verse 1. Saul reigned two years over Israel. The Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel Samuel told Saul to go down to Gilead, and surely I will come to you to offer burnt offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you. Saul offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished, Samuel came and said, What have you done? Saul said, When I saw the people scattered, and that you did not come, and that the Philistines gathered, 
Therefore, I felt compelled and offered an offering. Samuel said, you have done foolishly, not keeping the commandment of the Lord your God. Your reign shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. Wow, after only two years as king. Disobeyed, took the glory to himself, tried to do things in his own strength, in his own power, offered an offering that was not his place to do. He was the king, he was not the Kohim, he was not the prophet. He didn't obey. And we see here manifested fear. People scattering, Saul, Samuel's not here. The Philistines are gathering. And he let fear take over and he moved instead of waiting upon the Lord. Chapter 15, two more chapters. And another kind of situation takes place where he's told to do something and he doesn't do it exactly as God said. And Samuel comes to him again. And Saul, verse 24, Saul said, I have sinned. I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. And then 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. So again, he disobeyed. He confessed it. I was fearful. At least he admitted it this time. Knowledge the fear. He finally got to the real root of the problem. He's fearing. But his confession was not followed by true repentance. And the Spirit of the Lord departs from him. And he remains king for quite some time. Again, we still got another almost 20 chapters to go. 15, 50, 16 more chapters to go. Why did God allow him to remain king so long? He loved him. Exactly. God loved Saul. And God in his mercy is concerned more than what the king should. He's concerned more of his salvation. And he continues to please. He's going to be replaced, but he wants him to be saved. It's God continues to plead and plead with Saul. But a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. Now, what is this distressing spirit? Well, it could be several things, and maybe all these things. It could be that he is distressed because he is feeling guilt. The Holy Spirit is convicting him of his fears, convicting him of his disobedience, convicting him of his lack of faith, and his need to repent, fully repent, confess and repent of his sins, and to turn it over to the Lord. And he's not willing to, and so he's distressed over it. So it's coming from the Lord because the Holy Spirit's convicting him and stirring up that feeling of uneasiness. Could also be that God takes the blame for things that God didn't necessarily do, but that God allows. So it could be a demonic spirit upon him. Again, God didn't send that spirit per se, but Saul is inviting it and turning away from God and pushing God away. And so God created all things. God is allowed all things, if that's what we want and desire. And so God often, in the Bible we see this, God taking the blame for things that he doesn't necessarily do, but he allows. So it could be that as well. And we will get into another chapter, another person, and discuss demonic oppression uh, another time and how to have deliverance from that. Saul's servant said, let us seek a man who is a harp player. 
When the distressing spirit from God is upon you, he shall play the harp and you shall be well. One of the servants said, a son of Jesse, a Bethel, of the Bethlehemite, is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and handsome person, not as handsome as Saul or Rabbi Jeff, but a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. And whenever David played the harp, Saul would become well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. Wow! So David comes along, plays the harp. The servant says, oh, we'll get to find a harp player and he'll play the harp for you. And when the distressing spirit comes upon you, he'll play the harp and you'll feel better and that spirit will leave. I mean, this guy, this servant was like a Dr. Nedley 3,000 years ago. <laughs> right? Because we'll see when we look at the list of 10, right? So uh, the syncopated beat causes, can cause stress. And, and uh, good music can be very healing to the soul. And we see it worked for Saul. That's all he needed at that point. That one hit, bring that one hit down, and the distressing spirit left him. Listen to soothing music, harp music. Maybe David was singing as he played the harp, maybe singing the things that we have now as psalms. And he's playing and singing, and those words and the music and the melody just calmed his soul. And so it's good. Music is very powerful. It can be very helpful in overcoming depression. Good music. Now, of course, there are music that will stress us out more. And as I said, that syncopated beat, uh, listening to that all day, uh, can really you know, give you a whiplash, you know, I can, you know. <laughs> the person driving down the road, they don't look that safe, you know. Now, some of the music we play here has a syncopated beat to it, but, you know, once a, once a week and, you know, in services, it's good for congregational singing and uplifting and, you know, helps us to sing better. But to listen to all that all the time, especially if we're in a mood, in a bad mood, and anxious or fearful, it's good to have good music available and listen to that. Right, so harp music, classical music, stringed instruments, wind instruments, um, orchestras. I mean, Handel's Messiah, what a great thing. I mean, the words, right, all, all the words in the whole long, long, uh, what is, I don't know what to call it, the whole musical, right, whatever, I don't know. Uh, it's beautiful, it's all, it's all scripture verses. Beautifully done, it's fabulous. And uh, a lot of those, People were, were believers. Wrote uh, and hymns. Hymns are beautiful, beautiful words, beautiful words. And having the words of music, godly music, in our minds will help us through times of trouble. And we can bring back those words and can help us. I experienced. Uh, I was at a meeting with believers, and uh, someone took it upon themselves to attack me in the middle of the meeting. I mean, so inappropriate, and just came at me. And and then another and another. And they were just they were just being attacked. I couldn't believe it. And, and, and my allies, they were quiet. They weren't willing to get into the fray. And the peacemakers just, you know, kept quiet. And uh, there was one guy, I thought it was an ally, he was sitting next to me, looking at these guys. And he then stabbed me in the back. I mean, I, f I felt like turning and going, eat too, Brutus. You know, I mean, it just was, I couldn't believe it. I was just, wow, really wiped out at the end. And I was driving home and, and just, just really feeling discouraged of it. And my mind is just racing and trying to think everything they said. And was that true? And really, am I that bad? And, you know, and, and God, is this really from you? Is you using this to bring conviction to me? Is what they're saying or is there just some other issue? And, and I was just really troubled by it and really upset and struggling with all the feelings and emotions that go along with that. And as I was doing that, a song was running through my head. And I didn't recognize it at first. I wasn't paying attention to it first because my mind focused on the other, but it was there. And then it just started coming forth out of my mouth, and the word just singing out of my mouth. And I began 
stop listening and thinking about all the things that the people said and started listening to the words of the song. Draw me near, 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 precious Lord. I thought, yes, I just sang that and sang that. Yes, Lord, I want to be near you. Draw me near. I need you. I need you. Draw me near you. I need a hug. I need some comfort. Draw me near you. And as I thought about the words, draw me near, near, blessed Lord, to your precious, bleeding side. And it hit me. That in order to get to his hug, we have to hug his precious, bleeding side. It's not until we experience persecution ourselves, not until we experience troubles ourselves, that we can relate to him and his bleeding side. The suffering that he did for us. He was innocent, yet he paid the price for us. He took the pain, he took the blunt, he took the, the death for us. For my sins, he experienced that bleeding side. Pierced through for me. And the only way we can get close to him is to enter into his suffering with him. And in a small way, I understood a little bit more of his type of suffering that he experienced at the hands of wicked people. And so having the songs in our minds, placing them, storing them up, storing up the word of God, storing up godly music, can be very helpful in our times of stress and need. Another thing kind of like music that's helpful when we're feeling moody and depressed and, and down is humor. Humor can lift us up. And so if you're in a bad way or struggling with something, you got some decision to make and you're thinking about it for days and days and trying to make this decision and know the way to go and what to do. And sometimes you just need a little break and, you know, just maybe watch some good, good humor, healthy humor, and, uh, you know, and, and get your mind off. It's not going to heal you, you know, but it, it could take your mind off for a few minutes and, uh, and, and leave it, some of that stress and, and lift you up. And so humor is good. I, I like to joke around uh, and laugh. Um, there have been times where I uh, just laughed at things. I was going through a stressful time and I was sharing it with someone and they said, uh, well, at least you're able to laugh about it. And I didn't even realize I was laughing, but you know, I was telling it was very painful the story I was sharing. But I was, guess I was telling it in a funny way and it maybe just struck me as just so ridiculous I was going through and I was just laughing as I was telling it. There have been some times, very few times, and I should have got Barbara's permission to tell this, but I didn't, so... Whatever, you know. <laughs> but there have been a few times where, where she'll get nagging on me about something, and I'll give a wise crack, you know, and I'll say something, and then she'll get even more upset with me, and, and that'll just make me laugh even more, and, and then she'll get even more upset that I'm laughing now, and, and that makes me laugh even more. I've had sometimes my ribs are just hurting, and I'm just laughing, and she's saying, what are you laughing at? I'm just laughing. I can't even talk anymore at that point. I'm just laughing and laughing and laughing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's times like that that I have to sleep on the couch, you know. <laughs> but really, that's not too bad. It's kind of like camping, you know. It's, you, know it's just, you get a little break, you, know, you go out and camp. You know. They think they're punishing us, but yeah, we're just camping out. You, know? <laughs> you get to watch TV all night, you know. <laughs> Anyway, let's get back to King Saul. All right. So humor, anyway, music, good humor. Music is helpful to the soul. All right, so chapter 17, verse 8. Goliath cried out to the armies of Israel, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and you the servants of Saul? 
Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So Saul again is afraid and his leadership is fear. He spreads that out to the others and they're greatly afraid as well. Here's Goliath. He's nine feet tall. Saul, what is he, maybe seven feet tall. And, uh, and so he feels afraid. He's greatly afraid because he's got a real problem. Right? Sometimes we have imaginary problems and sometimes they have real problems. Now, even if they're imaginary problems, they're real to us at the time, right? And so they're still real in that sense. But this is a real problem, right? Wouldn't you say it's a real problem? He has this nine-foot giant with all his armor and his heavy spear, and you know, he's a killer, right? Is that a real problem or is that an imaginary problem? Well, David comes along and bing and a bang and a boom, and Goliath has no head, right? <laughs> so was it a real problem or wasn't it? So even the things we think are real problems don't have to be real problems. Hey, in the name of the Lord, you uncircumcised Philistines, you know, and that's it. One rock. Hey, and so uh, there might be problems that might seem real that are not really real when we view them from God's standpoint. Right? And that's where we need to enter in, into God's presence, and see things as he sees them, and not as we think and as we see them. Chapter 18, verse 5, David went out wherever Saul sent him, and the woman came out singing, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. Saul eyed David from that day forward. And the next day, the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul. So David played music with his harp, and Saul cast the spear at David, but he escaped twice. Saul was afraid of David. So the music didn't work that time. The harp playing didn't work that time. Maybe David should have tried a joke, right? Tell him a joke. Maybe that would have worked, right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think that would have worked at this point either, right? But Saul was afraid of David. Now, when he was afraid of Goliath, he was cowering in his tent. But when he's afraid of David, he's throwing the spear at him. Isn't that interesting? It's a different kind of fear. It's a jealous fear. And we talked about this with Jonah. Same thing. Anger and depression, same, opposite the same coin. When it's with Goliath, Goliath, a figure that he thinks is stronger than him, he's depressed and crying in his tent. When it's against David, who is smaller than him, and he thinks weaker, but again, David killed Goliath, so really, then David's stronger than Goliath, so David's really stronger than you, but he didn't think that through. He's looking at him, and he's saying, he's smaller than me, and thus, I can beat him, and so he gets angry and manifests anger at him, right? And I think we gave this example. The boss yells at you, and you don't say anything because he's stronger than you in a position he can hurt you, and then you go home, and you yell at your spouse or your kids or kick the cat, right? And so, same thing, we just manifest it differently depending who we're around and who we think we have influence over or who we don't. But either way, and we have more compassion to the person crying than we do the person yelling and screaming, but it's really the same issue. We need to see through that. And when we're going through it, we need to recognize it for what it is. Uh, not just trying to justify it and explain it away, but 
there's some issue there, there's some fear there, there's some jealousy there. That's why we're gossiping about them, putting them down, killing their name, their reputation, and accusing them. And so he's angry at them. And I said last week it was Saul killed his hundreds and David his thousands, thousands and tens of thousands. But he's jealous and David's fighting on his team. David's on his side. David's not against him. Goliath was against him and he wouldn't fight him. David's with him and he's fighting him. And again, often the ones we attack are the ones who are closest with us. The ones we think won't fight back. The, things, the ones we think won't leave us. And so we'll put them down and we'll call them names, thinking, well, they'll never leave me. And that's not nice. And it's not godly. And that's what he's doing here. And so he's jealous and afraid of David. And manifests himself differently, acts differently. Now, David, we saw last week how he interacted with three different individuals and treated them all differently based on who they were, not how he was feeling. When his brother yelled at him and mocked him and derided him, David ignored him, just turned away from him, ignored him. We need to be able to turn away from those who are mocking. When Saul's attacking him, he manifests forgiveness and mercy, but yet he's not stupid enough to go and live back with. We saw that last week. He didn't go live with Saul when Saul told him, come back to the, to the kingdom, to the, whatever, the palace, the castle. He didn't go with him, but he didn't kill him, nor did he ignore him. He faced him and rebuked him. Saul, I could have killed you. I didn't kill you. And then when he was dealing with Goliath, he killed him. He got off his head. And so three different attacks on David, all were attacks, he dealt with them differently. And we need to have that discerning spirit as we are interacting with people. Sometimes we need to just, and David didn't, again, go and move in with anyone. He didn't become codependent with any of them. He didn't let Goliath control him. He didn't let Saul control him. He didn't let his brother control him. But he didn't go attacking everybody. He ignored his brother, he rebuked Saul, demonstrated mercy and love, and he killed Goliath. And so some are our enemies, some are people needing repentance, and some people we just need to ignore, <laughs> just walk away from. Chapter 20, verse 30. Saul's anger was aroused, and he said to his son, As long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Bring him to me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan said, Why should he be killed? What has he done? Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that his father determined to kill David. So he threw a spear twice at David and once at Jonathan, Missing every time. Now we know why he didn't want to go out against Goliath. He was a bad aim. He had bad aim. <laughs> he wouldn't have done too good. David, one shot with a rock, and boom, and he's down. <laughs> Here in the same room, he's playing a harp. He's not even moving, and you can't even hit a, a not-moving target. You know? Some king, right? But it's not in Jonathan, some smart kid, huh? He sees David two chapters ago get his spear thrown at him twice and he doesn't even think anything of it. It's not until he gets a spear thrown at him that, oh, maybe my dad really wants to kill David. 
But maybe it wasn't just that he was dumb, but sometimes it's hard for us to see ourselves or those who we're close with in our own family. And it's hard to see how far they've actually gone. And so we excuse it away, we're codependent, and we justify it and ignore their faults and don't call them out and don't see it for ourselves. Jonathan should have seen it earlier than this. Saul should have seen it long before this. But both of them were in denial about it, and we can be too. That's why it's good to sometimes get outside help. When David got outside help, Nathan rebuked him, David repented. Jonathan's trying to call Saul out here. What's he done? And he gets angry. And that's a big difference. We need to have hearts that are humble and willing to listen and listen to other people and ask for their opinion and be humble enough to receive what they say and by God's grace, make the changes necessary. Chapter 22, verse 17, another two chapters. And the king said to the guards who stood about him, kill the Kohanim of the Lord, because their hand also is with David. So he wants the guards to kill the Kohanim. And the guards say, no, we're not going to do that. Praise the Lord for some law enforcement who are refusing to disobey unjust laws and unjust decrees, right? You got to be able to stand up at times for the people and not just obey orders from the king. And they didn't. But then this Edomite goes and he kills all the Kohanim. He's committing murder. Not more. He's killing these innocent Levites, Kohanim. And he did it because they were with David. Because they stood with David. They didn't do anything wrong. They may not have had an issue with Saul. They could care less. He's the king. They were respecting him and honoring him. But they had him, he had him killed because they stood with David. Have you ever not liked someone or gotten angry with someone you liked because they were being friendly or were friends with someone you didn't like? Or someone who was your enemy? Someone who did something to you, said something about you, hurt your feelings, were mean to you, your ex, whatever, your ex-boss, your ex-spouse, your ex-neighbor, whatever, someone that, ex-friend, and now some other friend, a third party, is friends with them, and you get jealous and upset and upset with them just because they're friends with someone else. They haven't done anything to you, they haven't done anything wrong to you, they're still friendly to you, but they're friendly to this other person too. Right? Can you relate to that? And he has them killed. There are some people that are no longer friends, won't even have people over for Thanksgiving or whatever, because they voted for someone they don't agree with. They'll be family members their whole lives. Sisters, brothers, children, parents. I'm not going to eat with you. I'm not going to talk with you anymore. You won't take this medical advice. You won't. You voted for so-and-so. You did this. You think this. Crazy. But that's what we see Saul doing. And so hopefully as we're studying Saul, again, we really don't care so much about Saul as we do about how Saul 
is a mirror showing us what we are like so that we can come to the Messiah, so we can surrender our fears, so we can surrender our anger, so we can surrender our insecurities, so we can surrender our petty attitudes to the Lord and accept his grace, accept his death, accept his mercy, accept his removal of those negative, sinful, destructive attitudes and receive his spirit, his heart, his mind, his life. Chapter 28. When Saul saw the, saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart greatly uh, trembled greatly. Saul disguised himself and went to a witch. And Saul said, I am deeply distressed. Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid. Wow, he's just really coming out. Been his whole life, or at least as long as we know him. Chapter 8 on, starts off hiding in the, with the equipment. He's afraid, he's afraid, he's afraid, he's afraid, he's afraid, he's afraid. All throughout his life. He let fear cripple him. Worrying about tomorrow, worrying about the finances, worrying about what this person thinks, what that person thinks. Do I have approval? Did they like my social media quote, chat, point of view, my, my words, my joke, my, my, my thoughts, my song? Do they like me? Do they check they like me? Are they my friends? All fearful about everybody else's feelings, everybody else's thoughts. All worried about everything else. Worried about tomorrow. Today has enough problems on its own. Why worry about tomorrow? Why do you want to add two things to your problem today? Deal with today. And trust the Lord. Don't let fear grip you. Don't let anxiety over things that haven't even happened yet and may not even happen. And which the Lord is well ahead of and knows all about beforehand. And is well able to take care of. And just surrender it to him. Trust in him. Believe in him. So he's just filled with fear. And now he's disobedient again to something he knows. The Bible says, do not speak to the dead. Do not go to witches. And earlier in his kingdom, he got rid of all the witches, all the ones he knew about. And now he goes to a witch. How can he do that? How can he go to someone that he already tried to get rid of? Shows the depth of our, how low we can go when we allow fear to run our lives and rule our lives. We need to have faith and not fear. Then the devil uses a familiar spirit, an evil angel, to impersonate Samuel, give him dismal report, and just sends him into total despair. And so let's look at some of the hits. Let's look over the ten hits. And again, we review these. Again, not so much for Saul's sake, but for our sake. Maybe there's something on there you'll see that you can relate to and go, yeah, I need to work on that. By God's grace, God, give me the power to knock that off my list. Whether you're at four or more or not, you want to make sure it's low, right? And you never know when something's going to hit, right? Some grief comes that's unexpected, so you want to keep it down. Two or one, by God's grace, if possible. So genetic hit, we don't know in Saul's life. Developmental, we don't know his childhood. Lifestyle, low exercise, low sunlight, low fresh air. That could be towards the end here where he's just, the army's attacking him, and maybe throughout his life, different times where he's just, you know, just hiding and just sitting and not active. 
That could have been circadian rhythm, not getting proper sleep and irregular sleep. We know in this last chapter, he goes and sees the witch at night, so he didn't get any sleep at all that night. And it's not one night of sleep that'll throw off your circadian rhythm. But sometimes, you know, we think it was only one night or only one meal, and really it was several in a row. Again, because we're in denial, we're not really seeing it. And so with his distress and the Philistines gathering, he might not have been getting regular sleep at that point or other times in his life when he was fearful. Troubled all night, worrying all night. Addiction, we have no record of him drinking alcohol and tobacco, caffeine, pot, and narcotics weren't in use in Israel at that time. Nutrition, uh, high cholesterol, high fat, high sugar, low tryptophan, low omega-3, low vitamin B, low folic acid, and again, uh, we didn't eat that night that he went to the witch, and so again, maybe just one meal won't do it, or one night of not eating properly, but again, might have been ongoing at this point. Again, if he's fearful and troubled and didn't want to eat that night, and he tried to give him food and he refused it, he really didn't want to eat. And so that might have been going on for days. We don't know how long he's experiencing this fear, distressing spirit and guilt, and he's weighed down. Toxic, we don't know. He didn't get the blood work, but uh, social grief, definitely. He's under a lot of stress, been under a lot of stress. He has no support system. God is not speaking to him. Well, he has, his sons are still there with him, but God had stopped speaking to him. God certainly wasn't going to listen to a witch to force him to speak to him. So he rejected God, and God is not communicating with him until he repents. And great loss. Medical, we don't have records on him. Frontal lobe, uh, low carb, high protein. We don't necessarily know that. He didn't have TV, he didn't have internet. Probably wasn't having high sex at that point. We know about the syncopated music, low abstract thinking. But definitely acting against conscience. Definitely was a problem. He's a disobedient, he's going to a witch. Disobedient earlier on in those earlier chapters where he's disobeying God. And he's trying to kill David. And so definitely, constantly acting again, killing the, the, the Kohenim. He has a lot of guilt, and he's not repentant. He's not accepting the Messiah's death in his behalf. He's not accepting the, the sacrifices to, that represented the Messiah to come. He's not accepting the Lord's grace and the Lord's forgiveness and the Lord's transformation. He's not accepting the new heart. He's not accepting rebuke. So he's filled with guilt. He's acting against his conscience. So definitely a frontal lobe hit. So we see several... Uh, possible hits that he's experiencing uh, various times in his life, and certainly here at this chapter. Chapter 31. The Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines, and Saul took a sword and fell on it. Took his own life. Committed suicide. What a sad ending, ending to such potential. God called him, God gave him his spirit, God gave him a new heart, manifested miracles in his life, used him in fighting, great battle. Could have been so much better. But he chose fear over faith. He chose to hold on to his sins and excuse them and remain in denial and then ends up committing suicide. Could have been so much different. And then David, instead of rejoicing, David mourns and David weeps. David cries. 
David writes a song in honor of King Saul and Jonathan. He didn't rejoice over him. Again, he knew the difference. Who is a real enemy? And who's just a prop, someone with a problem? And who's just like his brother with an attitude? And God can give us that kind of heart. And so as we compare, oh, God gave a wonderful, if Saul would have quoted a promise like this, even though it was written afterwards, the principle is always there. From 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. That spirit of fear that Saul was experiencing did not come from God. God has not given us a spirit of fear. The devil brings fear into our lives. Worries, anxieties, not trusting the word of God, not trusting the promises of God, not trusting the power of God. Experiencing fear instead of power, love, and a sound mind. But those things God has given us. And so when we're experiencing fear, when we're being tempted to be fearful over whatever the issue is, what someone said they're going to do or not going to do or what you think's going to happen, whether it's right there in your own experience, at work or at home or in school or the neighborhood or country or the world, we don't have to fear. We don't have to have any fear. We can trust the Lord. And we can receive God's spirit. We can receive God's power to stand up against it. We can receive God's spirit of love to still forgive and have mercy and yet not get caught up and get hurt by them, but pray for them and intercede for them and be a living example for them and words of loving rebuke and of a sound mind, of clear thinking, hearing God's word, this is the way, walk ye in it, walking in his light, trusting in him, in obedience to him. Wonderful promise. We can claim that promise as fear tries to grip us, tries to weigh us down, the unknowns of tomorrow. Give them over to the Lord. Surrender them to him. So let's compare Saul and David. God gave us a beautiful illustration of these two people living at exactly the same time and so similar. Both were called by God. Both were anointed by Samuel to be king. Both had committed murder. Both faced Goliath. Same situations. But they reacted differently to these callings. Saul made excuses for his sins. David confessed them and repented of them. Saul chose fear. David chose faith. And again, we saw that clearly with Goliath. Same hour. Saul is shaking in his boots, and David goes and takes him out. Saul feared the people. David feared the Lord. Right? Fearing the Lord is a reverence for the Lord, a reverence for his almighty majesty. Fearing, he's almighty, he's, he's all-knowing, he knows what's best. You can trust him, put him first, believe him. Trust him. Fear is judgment, judged against Saul. Fear against going against him, because it won't work out well. But even a higher level of love, 
fearing the Lord. There's a wonderful story, I think it's a testimony of Mark Finley, where he was uh, young and he was doing drugs and alcohol. And he'd come home, his mom was not pleased with it. She was a godly woman. And one night he came home totally stoned out of his mind and, and she saw him, she took one look at him and she began to cry. And she turned away and went into her room just weeping. And that was the last night he got drunk or stoned. Because he feared his mother. He didn't fear she was going to yell at him anymore. He didn't fear she was going to punish him more. He feared hurting her. He loved her. And he didn't want to hurt her. And if we have that kind of love, that kind of fear of the Lord, knowing that when we sin, we crucify him afresh. We hurt his feelings. We reject him. We push him away. And all that he's done for us and all that he's given for us, he created us, he's known us from before we were born, from before he created Adam and Eve, he's known your name, he knows the plans he has for you. He's molded you, he's made you, he's protected you, he's provided for you. He died for you, he's given us salvation, he's given us heaven, he's preparing mansions for us. He's already given us everything. And if we choose to reject him and choose to hurt him and choose to sin, it hurts him greatly. So we should fear hurting him, fearing the Lord. And David didn't want to hurt God. That's what he said when he sinned and he confessed it. Against you and you only have I sinned. Well, he killed Uriah and committed adultery, but to the greatest, he hurt God. And he felt it. And that hurt him the worst. Saul chose jealousy and anger. David chose forgiveness and mercy. Not codependency again. He didn't go back living with him. But forgiveness and mercy. It's under the same situation. And we can experience the same as well. We need the wisdom of God in knowing how to deal with people when to trust, how to trust the Lord, how to surrender to the Lord, and be under his banner, under his arms, under his hands, under his covering, living in him. And so we each have a choice, whether we want to be like Saul or whether we want to be like David. There was nothing created in David that Saul couldn't have had, and there was nothing special in David that wouldn't have kept him from becoming just like Saul if he chose the same choices. I'm sure he was tempted with fear. I'm sure he was tempted with anger. I'm sure he was tempted with jealousy. Just as we all are, we receive the same temptations that these two men received. Yeshua was tempted in all ways like as we are, but he chose not to sin. We can choose to not allow those things. We can choose to not listen to that spirit of fear but to choose the love, the power, the sound mind. And so, if you are mentally or emotionally under attack, or if the same worries and fears keep rehearsing in your mind, choose a godly song and sing it out loud until the negative thoughts have been, that have been occupying your mind no longer have center stage. 
our minds work, and that's how habits are formed, they form channels. When something happens and then we do the same thing, a channel is formed, right? So every time we are tempted to be afraid, we react the same way by either running away or whatever, then a channel forms and it then becomes easier and easier to do that same pattern over and over again. But when that next time that fear comes and we choose to have faith and choose to not run away, choose to face it, choose to stand up against it, choose to pray, choose to surrender it to the Lord, choose to allow God to reveal one of the thousands of ways that he has a solution, then the more we do that, then that becomes the channel and the rut becomes deeper that way, and then when that fear hits, it automatically goes into that channel. We start praying, we start singing, and so the fear comes in and we start singing a certain song, and then that becomes the channel. And so temptation comes, negative thinking comes in. Oh, it was interesting when Saul threw the spirit Jonathan, Saul was saying, that son of Jesse, he is, uh, you're never going to be anything. You're never going to become established because of that son of Jesse. And that whole long thing, we only included a little bit there. Saul does not mention David by name. I think at least twice he calls him son of Jesse. Have you ever not liked someone so much that you couldn't even mention their name? Or someone else mentions their name, and it's not, they're not even talking about the person you're, you don't like, you know? But it's the same name, and it makes you think about that person who did that thing to you, and they get all going, and they're talking, and you're not even listening to them. You're thinking about, oh, they did that 10 years ago to me. And the whole thing all stirs up all over again, right? That's where he was at. He couldn't even mention David's name. And so sometimes we get that, and we get that pattern going. Hear that name, see that car that reminds us of them, or that activity, or that song, or something that reminds us of them, and boom, our mind goes into that negative channel, and we can change that channel and move that channel, create a new channel by choosing godly songs and to play that out. I remember I started working at a place and I was being introduced to the other staff and one of the ladies said, oh no, not another Jeff. <laughs> she didn't even know me from Adam, you know, nothing. You know? But she knew some Jeff somewhere. <laughs> and it brought that right back. It was so clear, right? <laughs> It just brought right up. I worked very hard to save the name of Jeff for all the future Jeffs she would ever encounter. And we did. We became good friends, and hopefully it helped. But yeah, we can be that way. And so if that's revealing to you, you know, sometimes you hear a name, it just reminds you and gets you on that pattern. So start to form a new channel. That's how our brains work. That's how good habits form. And so sing a song. Right? And so then that becomes your habit, to sing that song. Make that your theme song. Pick a godly song with godly words that will encourage you. And every time you feel fearful or every time you feel angry or every time you feel jealous or insecure, you start singing that song. Maybe a different song for a different temptation, right? And that will become the channel and your mind will go in that direction. Or maybe cause you to pray. You know, so you think of someone that hurt you in the past and then you choose to pray for that person. Lord, I pray for their salvation. I pray you forgive them. I pray you work in their lives. And you keep doing that, and that becomes your pattern every time that name comes up and you start praying for that person? How long do you think the devil's going to keep tempting you with that, right? Every time he tempts you with that, it brings you to pray? Brings you to praying for that guy? He's not going to do that anymore. He'll try something else on you, right? So form a new channel, form a new mind. And so if that's your issue now, if you're going through something, 
After we're done praying, in a moment we'll pray, you can surrender that to the Lord, and then we'll sing some songs. Claim a song for your mind. If you're feeling down in the dumps, watch a good, clean, humorous movie or show. It won't solve your problem, but it could clear you up, uh, clear up your mind a little, and clear your head from stinking thinking long enough to help you think realistically about what is the root of your feelings. Can you think of a time when you stuffed anger because you chose to get angry at someone who was in a position of strength, only to unstuff that anger on someone who you felt would not attack you back, such as your family, friend, or someone in a weaker position than you? If so, ask God to give you the gift of repentance, humility, and contrition, and go and apologize to that person, even if it was a long time ago. Doing so will be good for both you and them. So receive God's forgiveness, confess it to him, and then go seek that person out and receive their forgiveness. If you're feeling depressed because you feel powerless regarding the situation you're going through, claim these promises or others like it. The Bible is full of them. At the back of the depressed people of the Bible book, there's the last chapter, there's a bunch of promises, Bible texts that are wonderful. So Exodus 14, 13 and 14, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. That was in Exodus. Moses wrote that. Saul had that available to him. He could have been quoting that. Do not, every time he felt tempted to be afraid, he could have pulled that out and said, do not be afraid. God says, do not be afraid. That's a commandment of the Lord. God will provide me the ability not to be afraid. Stand still. See the salvation of the Lord. I choose to stand by your grace, Lord, to see you work. Lord, fight for me. Or Ezekiel 38, 20. At the presence of the Lord, the mountains shall be thrown down, the steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. Right? The walls will come tumbling down at the presence of the Lord, right? The great song we sang, Paul Wilbur, right? Walls come tumbling down. Wonderful promise. Claim God's promises. God, you're going to bring this wall down. You're going to bring this trouble down. I don't know how you're going to do it. It's going to fall at your presence. Lord, bring it down. Stand in my midst. Jews got Bible promise. Write it on a card. Hold it with you. Take it with you. Memorize it. Memorizing scripture is powerful. If you're exercising fear, anger, jealousy, despair, or hopelessness, any one of those five, fear, anger, jealousy, despair, or hopelessness, surrender them to God, confess them as sin, as lacking faith in God and his word, accept his forgiveness through the power uh, and deliverance and his power to have hope, faith, courage, and strength. So accept the Messiah's death for the removal of those negative feelings and accept his hope, faith, courage, and strength to lift you up and to hold you up and take you forward. So if any of those areas apply to you, let us pray together and let God do his work. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we praise your name and we thank you. Thank you for your love and mercy towards Saul. Thank you for giving him opportunity after opportunity. Thank you for holding him up as an example for us of what not to do and 
Lord, convict us. Show us ourselves in his life every time we yield to these temptations. Lord, thank you for not giving us a spirit of fear. Remove fear and anxiety and worry and cares out of our minds. Despondency and dismay. Hopelessness. Remove it from us by the power and blood of Yeshua the Messiah. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. You have no right over us anymore. We've been bought with the price of Yeshua the Messiah. We are his. We are his children. We are prince and princesses with the Lord God Almighty, the King of the universe. Satan, you have no right over us anymore. You're just a toothless lion. Just a paper dragon. The Lord our God is almighty. Lord, stand in our behalf. Fill us with faith and hope and trust. Fill us with your mind. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your power. Come and live inside us and manifest yourself in us and through us. Make us mighty warriors for you. Give us wisdom when to walk away, when to show forgiveness and offer words of correction, or when to fight against the enemies. Give us your discernment, give us your power, give us your grace. Forgive us for negative thinking towards others. Forgive us for hurting those weaker against us. Forgive us for not standing up against the enemies against us. Forgive us for taking it to heart and being insecure. Cleanse us through the blood of Messiah. Forgive us for looking negatively towards those who are friends with those that we feel hurt by. Give us love and mercy. Give us security and peace. Give us trust in you. Draw us near to your side. Draw us nearer, nearer, nearer to your precious bleeding side. Hold us close. Fight for us. In Yeshua's holy name. Amen.